You're listening to Dance Tips Daily. This is the podcast that provides a short and sweet daily routine to help you reach your dance dreams. I'm your host, Danny Albertina, and I read to you with the author's permission articles, blogs, and excerpts that equipped you to dance forward with perspective, confidence, strategy, and style. As a dancer, choreographer, and educator who's twirled through the highs and lows of this career, I'm passionate about curating information that inspires and improves the quality of dancer life. My mission is to highlight those who make our industry a brighter place by sharing their unique light and fighting for what is kind and right. DTD amplifies the voices of creatives who help you and me become a more well-rounded and grounded artist. I believe that daily routines have the power to transform into daily habits, and daily habits have the power to transform big dreams to reality. If you do too, and are ready to spend a little time growing a little more, little by little each day, let's dance in. All right, DTD is so fortunate to have Miss Valerie Potsos for our April 1st bonus episode. Val, thanks so much for coming on. Thank you for having me. It's just a pleasure to always see you. Oh, you too. Um, I had the pleasure of meeting Valerie through Dance Team World, judging dance competitions, but I look up to her on so many different levels, not only from her leadership within the University of Michigan Dance Team, who has won national championships for multiple years under her leadership, but she also is a humble person and fabulous mother of three kids, um, has a husband. She got her BA and graduate from um, University of Michigan, and she also has graduate studies in secondary education. She's been a dance educator for 30 years, an adjudicator for 20. She has students that have auditioned for America's Got Talent, and she's taught seminars under Varsity University. On top of that, she's the owner of Dancers Edge, and she's traveled internationally, and she's choreographed in commercial world, too. How do you do it all, Val? <laughs> I just got really tired with you reading all of that. <laughs> um, I just took it day by day, to be honest. Like, I, I love what I do. I'm super passionate about what I do. Um, I always say I'm going to be 80, 90 years old, and I'm still going to have a, a cane on the sidelines, and I'm still going to be coaching and doing what I'm doing. Sometimes people say, well, when are you going to retire? Like, my answer is never, because I feel like once you stop, like, it's just really hard. I, I just, I love what I do and I'm excited about new challenges and new opportunities. So anytime there's a new challenge or opportunity, I want to figure out how to make that happen. Um, so it just really gets me excited about doing things every day. So that's awesome. And did you always have this love for dance or when was the initial like period or phase that you knew that like dance and leadership and dance team and sure. teaching was something that you always wanted to do? So I, my mom put me in dance classes when I was three and I'd been taking dance all my life. It was just what I did. Um, and I took it a studio, but I also was on my high school team. And, and back then people didn't do both. You either did your studio or you did your high school team. And people thought I was crazy for doing both, but I loved what really both those experiences provided for me. I received my technique my technical training from my studio, we would also compete. And then my high school team, I got to be a part of my high school and that whole school experience and the palm and everything else. And, and just getting that experience was great. Um, so then um, going to college at the University of Michigan, I originally started, I was studying communication, but I did minor in dance education, took taking dance classes and mm-hmm. that, that kind of stuff. And I thought, well, I can't really make a career out of dance, I thought. And so mm-hmm. I went and got a teaching degree, um, which helped me tremendously. And, and I thought I was going to be a school teacher um, with teaching dance on the side. So once I graduated um, from the University of Michigan and with the teaching degree, I just started teaching and started doing what I was doing. And then just kind of evolved from there. I was teaching at a, a studio um, I was coaching at a high school team for eight years. Mm-hmm. And then Michigan kept saying, Hey, will you come? Cause I was on the team as well at, at the university of Michigan. And uh-huh. they kept saying, will you come back and coach us? And I lived an hour away at that time. Oh. So two years I coached the high school team and the college team <laughs> at the same time. Oh, it was a little crazy. Um, but then we just, after that, we moved to Ann Arbor 
And then I stopped coaching the high school team, which was really hard because I loved those students and I love that team. And I get very attached to my teams every year. Right. Um, but the area that I moved into, there was a studio that didn't have them. I think they had like 50 students and I, they hired me as the director. And then a year after I was the director, they said, well, we, it was a company that owned, like they had auto dealerships is what they had owned, but oh. they also wanted a dance studio and a gym. It's kind of random, but <laughs> they finally said, we don't that. know anything about, they said, we don't know anything about dance. And so we just want to sell the business to you. And so I'm actually on my 19th year of owning my studio as well. So I kind of look back and I was like, well, this is crazy. Like where this has all evolved. And I just finished my 20th, 20th season at, at Michigan. So, um, yeah, it's, it's definitely, when you think about it, it's kind of tiring, but I just take day by day and I love what I do. So I'm, I won't stop. <laughs> oh my gosh. Congratulations. That's such Thank a feat. You. Yeah. There's so many people who struggle just to do one of those things. Like being coach is such a huge responsibility and owning studio is such a responsibility on top of that, like balancing family. And I just yeah. look up to you so much for being oh. able to handle it all with the grace that you do and the humbleness that you hold and how, um, willing and open you are, even whenever we judge competitions to like give feedback or like improve situations. So yeah, thank you for being you. <laughs> well, thank you. Well, I have to say that I do get a lot of help and I couldn't do it without people that help and support um, my studio. I have amazing staff at the studio. I get a lot of help at the University of Michigan. We have assistant coaches and we have tremendous support staff. So that stuff would not happen mm -hmm. if I didn't have the help that I did. And I think a lot of coaches, when we're first starting out in any coaching career, a lot of times it's just yourself. Right. And for many years, I did it just myself. And mm -hmm. that's that coaching can be a very lonely job. It can really be a very, very lonely job because you sometimes it's just you and your team and you don't have those opportunities to speak to other people or bounce ideas off. And so once right. I started having more people and I was allowed to hire more people and have more people, um, or even at the studio when we had the luxury to hire more people, mm -hmm. it really makes a big difference. It really makes a big difference in the quality of education that we're giving our students. It makes a big right. difference in the quality of how you feel about yourself as a coach and as a teacher. Right. And in the pandemic, I know I'm kind of going all over the place, but it all is no. related. Yeah. yeah I'm following. <laughs> in the, in the pandemic, um, we started putting two and three teachers in our classrooms in our studio, yeah. um, simply because we would have one teacher on zoom and mm -hmm. one teacher actually teaching the kids that were still in the classroom, or if it was all zoom, you know, they had those opportunities to do that. Well, we've yeah. kept that in the studio, uh, after the pandemic, because we feel that, you know, when you have more support staff yeah. and more people helping as teachers, you can bounce ideas off of each other. And then the students see that, or if teacher A sees this and teacher B sees this, you're getting, it's more quality education. So, so what I'm saying is, <laughs> is you were saying, you know, doing a lot by yourself. Well, yes. it, it does, it's not by myself. I, it's, it's a team and I firmly believe in the team concept and I believe in, in, in really working together because that makes a big difference in the quality of education. A thousand percent. I think collaboration in all walks of life, whether it be science, yeah. arts, math is the more that we can put more hands in. It's sometimes harder to manage that way, more personalities, mm -hmm. but ultimately we're better together. Um, sure. Thanks for sharing that. So what do you look for and, or what stood out to you when looking for to pick your support team um, for the people that you'd be working closest with and like trusting with everything that you had done and put so much energy into all by yourself? Um, well, I, number one, I look for people that are humble. I, I definitely want people that are humble because I think in this business, there's a lot of, um, there's a lot of egos in this business, I think yeah. in the dance world and, and, or I choreographed this, or I did this or, you know, and, and that, that doesn't work for me. I okay. want to make sure that people are humble. They're willing to, to grow and learn. Yeah. Um, every day I'm asking, what can I do better? What can I make make? How can I make this team better? How can I make this process better? What can I do? And, and if you're not humble, then you're not willing to improve, grow and or change. So that's the number one thing I look for is people being humble. Um, the next is I know that I am a very, I know my personality. I'm a very type a driver structured kind of person. I know that about myself and <laughs> <laughs> there's no shame. That's just who I am. Right. Um, but, but I also, what works well for me, if I, if, especially if I'm working closely with a, uh, an assistant coach or I'm working closely with a teacher, I need somebody that's the opposite of that. 
yeah. <laughs> somebody that is, is, you know what, um, that, that, cause that's a good balance for us, you know, right. I, and, and so that really kind of helps me if there's somebody like me in the room, sometimes it's a little bit harder because not that we butt heads or anything. It's just it, it, a version of myself is right. very hard for me to deal with. And my daughter, she's six years old and she's exactly like me. So I know that oh. we're she'll, she'll make lists the night, like she's very structured too. So she'll make a list at the night before, like get dressed, go to bed. When I get up, I'll have breakfast. She makes lists and then she checks them off and she's six years old. So I'm like, Oh Who my goodness. Her? <laughs> I keep telling her, I said, well, you're going to have to take over the studio. So start figuring it out now. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. So it's interesting. Those are some things that I look for. And I, and I, I look for people that are constantly willing to be improved and, and positive. I yeah. have to be around positive people. Yeah. If you're, you're negative, there's, there's, there's no room for that. You know, and I always, I always glass is half full, like always those kind of people, because life is hard enough as it is. And if you got to always find the the positive aspect of doing things, and, and, you know, I've, I've been accused of things like, you know, um, being too positive or, but I'd rather be yeah. that way than the opposite, you know? And, and I feel like yeah. if you have that contagious, positive energy, that's going to build other people up. And, and some of the things that I talk to my team about is, you know, you can feel it when you walk into a classroom or a practice, mm -hmm. if there's good energy in there, a good oh, culture, yeah. and you can feel it when it's not, you know, and, yeah. but you can also influence that culture or that particular practice just by the right energy of students that you have in the room. And I call it the spiral of positivity and the spiral of negativity. I talked to them about this yeah. and like, if somebody comes in like, yeah, yesterday's practice was awful. I'm sore. I'm tired. Yeah, I wasn't thinking that, but yeah, I'm, I'm sore too. And that, oh, you know, and it just like goes downwards. Or do we yeah. really have to run today? Yeah, we, you know, and it just goes, goes, goes. But the opposite can happen too. You know, yeah. like, hey, we're going to do this again. Yes, guys, let's go and just really build that. And if you watch practices, you can see, you can see that happen. And you can see how the energy can kind of build or the opposite thing happen. So I really encourage my team or anybody that I'm working with to, to be in tune to that yeah. and say, how can we like really build that positive energy in a particular practice? And when you start catching those negative comments, like how do you redirect them and how do you right. redirect those negative comments? So what, what I look for in, in, in candidates to either be on my team or, mm -hmm. you know, as staff at my studio positivity, like you have to be positive and you have to, you know, and that, that doesn't mean that you don't have room for constructive criticism, right. but put things in a way that's positive that people are good. And because people relate and they adhere to, to positive feedback more than they do negative feedback. So totally. And do you find yourself because I mean, we're human, we all have those moments. Like, I feel like because you've worked so hard to keep this mentality and you keep yourself in check, like you're bottom line is like all the way up here compared to some people's like positive, <laughs> negative, um, perception. So do you find that you have to remind with each year, whether it be new staff that comes in or new, um, students that come in for the team, do you find yourself having to have this talk at the beginning of the year and revisiting throughout the year? Or is it like nipped in the bud from the situation? Or, I mean, is the standard just kind of set? Like people know once they make the team that this is like the mentality, this is where we are. Well, I find that if, if leaders do a good job of setting mm -hmm. the tone of your culture, I still, I still revisit it every year. I do an onboarding with my staff in the summer and it's the same thing with, with Michigan that, you know, we do all of that in the summer and we kind of go over our expectations in terms of social media, in terms of, you know, how we do things. This is the way we do things here. Right. But if you do a good job in terms of leading and setting your culture, Mm -hmm. then a lot of that stuff will take care of itself because the seniors will teach it. The seniors will catch it or the juniors or people that have been in the program right. are like, Oh, spiral positivity or spiral mm -hmm. negative. Like they know it. And so they'll say those kinds of things. Um, so I think it's important, but you still have to, I still think you need to revisit it every year. Just talk about it. Right. But then I don't do all the talking in the summer. I let my other members talk about it because then there's a greater buy-in. Yeah. Right. So if my seniors are, I used to do this whole social media seminar I used to, and I used to be the one that did it. Uh -huh. I don't do it anymore. I have my seniors do it. Why? Because there's greater buy-in from the team members, right? If my right. If senior captain's telling you this, I better do it. And so same thing with, with the positive energy or the positive culture. I think yeah. if it's taught, then it'll get passed down and uh, that energy will continue. Right. Totally. Totally. Where do you think that you 
learned your leadership from? Was there a certain, whether it be family or maybe a certain leader within your dance um, journey? Because we know that they probably saw that you, like you are who you are and that you are a leader, even when you're young, you can just spot those kids out, mm-hmm. you know, and was there someone who maybe might've like pushed you or believed in you to keep moving in that direction? Um, well, my father, um, he played football at the university of Michigan and he was very much, um, kind of like a very like type a driver kind of personality. He also owned a business. And so I learned a lot from him. Um, I think of it as I've gotten older, I've become a lot more like him without realizing it. <laughs> so um, they always say we turn into our parents, whether we like I it know, or not. <laughs> I know, I know. So I, I think, I feel that, you know, he had a big influence on who I, who I was, uh, or, or who I am growing up. So, um, in countless dance teachers, countless school teachers. Um, and I was always the one that wanted to please my, you know, those that teachers and please, you know, I just, that's who I am. And so yeah. I really looked up to them to try to, you know, as the, again, that type a perfectionist, I remember, you know, getting an a minus in school and my dad's like in a hundred years, nobody's going to care. I'm like, well, I care now. <laughs> you know, right. I just remember. And I still, I, I think I still am that way, just wanting to be the best at everything I can do. But but my mindset has sh- has shifted over the years, not only being the best at everything I do, but help bring out the best in everybody else, right? And help mm-hmm. them achieve their journeys. And I have, I have colleagues that you know are opening studios and and doing other things. And I, for me, like get, being able to give back and help them become the best versions of themselves, like that's where I feel the greatest leadership comes in. I love that because like you said, in this field, not only is there a lot of egos sometimes, but there's a lot of competition. And sometimes people feel that if um, they look at it as like, if I pour out from my cup, then like there's less in my cup and then more in theirs, whether rather than thinking of it as a light or a candle, you know, like if I'm still burning, I can still share my fire and keep mine ignited. And um, yeah, I love that you, you keep that mentality of those around you. I, I love Midwest mentality. I mean, I'm biased. <laughs> I am, but I do think that it, it really does like help just in so many different levels. And I mean, you've had What's cool is like you've had your students now trickle into doing other like big commercial jobs or um, going on into dancing professionally. So what is can you share a little bit about maybe one of your students who has gone on or students who, of course, keep in contact with you? I'm sure they call back all the time and check in. Is there like a favorite story that you have from that? Well, our first male dancer on the University of Michigan dance team, Brendan Ryan, he is now dancing for the LA Rams and they just won the Super Bowl. So um, I remember seeing him at a competition when he was a freshman or sophomore and Eisenhower in high school. And at that moment, I'm like, I want that kid on my team, (laughs) you know, and, and, you know, and just from that moment, you know, we just start having the conversations and, you know, it was interesting because, you know, for me, it was a no brainer. We'd never had a male on our team, but it's interesting the perceptions you can get Mm -hmm. from fans or, you know, that kind of stuff. And so it took, you know, it took a moment to get people ready for it. Yeah. But he was all in, you know, it was great. He was, yeah. and I had several conversations with him about, okay, well, do you want to use palms or you don't want to use palms or this is what people are going to say. Are you ready for it? And we had all these conversations, but he embraced every moment of it. He um, was a captain his senior year. And that's oh. when we, we won virtual nationals that year. So really, really proud of him. And he's now on to great things. And I think he's, he's going to be on to even more things in terms of, you know, commercial work. I think, I think he'll, he could be on Broadway. So, um, yeah. but you know, really, I, I mean, I want my students to succeed in whatever it is that they want to do. And I know that 99.9% of the people that dance at a studio or on a team are going to do other things, right? Right. So I think if we focus on what the holistic perspective is of Mm -hmm. teaching, Mm -hmm. that's more important than, hey, you have to have these turns in second perfectly. Like, you know what I mean? So I always talk about, you know, building up that holistic. I got into this because I love teaching dance, but this is not why I'm still in it. Because I like to look, especially at at Michigan, when they come in as freshmen and they're navigating college, or maybe they're from out of state. Mm -hmm. And they have those ups and downs of all those things happen. And then they start maturing their sophomore year and becoming more mature their junior year. And then when they're, you know, interviewing for jobs and they say, everything I learned was from dance team. Well, then I've done my job. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like, I feel like I've done my job, you know, but, and so in the studio though, I have them as young as three, all the way to 18, I have the same student 
all right. the way through. And so, you know, just what, what am I helping them with? Right. Am I helping right. them with, you know, you're going to be, you know, applying for colleges and what kind of majors do you want to, you know, in all the things that dance teaches you right. will help them in their jobs. And so to me, that's what I think is most important that we're teaching, whether it becomes a Brendan Ryan or whether they become a famous doctor, you know, and that's right. to me is really important. Yeah, that's awesome, Val. And you take your, your studio kids to competition, correct? Correct. Yes. Um, how early do you start taking them? Usually around age five. So we have right. a recreation program. We also have a competitive program. And so our minis start at age five, like usually when they enter kindergarten, we have a mini team and oh. we, um, <laughs> they're so fun. Um, so, and then all the way up to 18. So we have over a hundred kids in our competition program uh-huh. and then spread out over different teams within that program. So, right. um, and I, I really believe in like incremental steps of, of, having people integrate into the competition program. Right. Sometimes you'll get people that'll see things like on TV and they're like, I want my kid in the studio 20 hours a week. And I'm like, that's great, but they're going to get burnt out. You know, right. what can we do to make sure that we're integrating them at the right level to bring them in so that they aren't burnt out or tired or whatever. So when we start off with the minis, they're only in so many hours a week. And then obviously right. when they're seniors, they're in here a lot more. Um, we do have homework rooms for them to study and, you know, in between classes and things like that. Yeah. Um, so I think it, it's really important though, that we still keep a very healthy perspective that w- of what competition teaches us. And I, I do, I love, I think going to competition is great. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm a big proponent of it. However, I also make sure that we educate our families on what competition is. And I think it's, and I, even with my college students, I'm like, you know, where were we at the beginning of the year? Where are we at when we attend competition? And if we improve, then that's success. I think so many people get caught up in, you got to be number one, or you got to win, or you got to do this, mm-hmm. or studio competitions. And I, my joke is, well, you won triple titanium platinum, like, you exactly. know, it's like, you know, and, and really at the end of the day, what, what is it about? And you have to be and, and judging, as you know, we've judged together. It's right. very subjective. Yes. So you want to take that feedback, apply that feedback, mm-hmm. make yourself better, but don't get caught up on the score. Don't get caught up on the placement. Right. Um, because I think there's a hyperinflation in terms of what people think that is. Um, And we have to really keep a very sound mind in terms of, of competing and what that's all about. I love that you hone in on that for your programs, for your teams in studio. I think competition can get such a bad rep, especially like with what we see reality TV competition being like, and what's behind the scenes. And so for some people who haven't been professional in that world, you know, they can totally skew and think that this is the norm of how you're meant to act or like that you need to get first place or that, Mm -hmm. like that that's what qualifies you as a valid dancer. And, um, like you said, it's just so subjective and ultimately, like, even when I'm judging competitions and I know that like the background that some people have come in with like issues or like wanted to talk about this placement and this placement, I want to say like, it's ultimately when you get up on the stage, like that's a huge feat, especially for some of those like many, many babies, like that's huge. And what you're learning there, like Mm -hmm. goes beyond dance. Like you said, like, you know, into the interviews, into being uncomfortable when you're in a heightened situation, whether it be in the hospital Mm -hmm. or, um, Like, so ultimately like, yeah, we give feedback on dance, but like at the end of the day, I'm just an outsider. Like what you did prior to being here is like the gold, you know? Exactly. And it's interesting too, because, um, one of the things that I always, if coaches get upset about placements or, you know, um, I think it's important to, when you're in practice and you're mm-hmm. working with a routine all year long, mm-hmm. you basically become married to that routine, right? So right. you don't necessarily see like, you don't see the, the things that could be corrected, right? Or, mm-hmm. or, you, or you become comfortable with certain things. So, so right. maybe they're working on a turn sequence and it, it just took a long time to get there, right? right. And it looks great on stage for right. them. Right. But then what the judges see compared to all the other teams that have been out there, that that was the best they've ever done it, but compared to like other teams that are out there. So I think my advice to coaches and teachers are Mm -hmm. again, focus on the process, 
not the product because you don't know like where your team's coming from and where your team ends, maybe somebody else's journey and it's going to be different for them. And you right. want to be proud of what they're taking onto the stage um, and don't focus on, well, you know, they were better than that other team or, or whatever. It's focused on what your journey is, what your path is and where they're going to be taking themselves onto the stage. Yeah. Yeah. That's great advice. What advice do you think Val now would give to Val 20 years ago who just started off coaching or what <laughs> advice would you give to brand new coaches right now or brand new studio owners? Um, definitely don't take things personal. Um, <laughs> the, <laughs> I remember um, when I first, so I was coaching Michigan prior to having the studio. And I remember somebody said to me, well, you can't do both and you better just figure it. You're gonna have to choose, you know? Uh-huh. And I was like, okay. And then I was like, watch me, you know? And yeah. so, you know, and, and, but then also all the feedback that you, you know, if, if parents are upset or things that happen, you, right. you can't take things personal and really what's, and, and I've, I've gotten so much better at this over the years, but what really solidified it for me was the pandemic because mm. there were definite opinions on both sides of the spectrum right. as to what we should be doing in the studio. And, you know, we did what we thought was right for our student students, uh-huh. our students, our parents, based on, you know, I was on the speed dial with the health department and, you know, looking uh-huh. at what the schools were doing and, Hey, I, Hey, I'm doing this. Is this right? Is this is what I feel we should be doing. Is this correct? Based on the rules. Like right. I was always asking the right questions and, and doing what I needed to do. And regardless even though I was doing everything right, but what the health department said, uh-huh. you still had people on both sides, right. you know? And so for me at the end of the day, I just said, well, this is what I feel is right based on what is correct. And, right. and this is what we're going to do here. And if this is not going to be good for you, you know, then you have to do what's best for your family. And, right. and, and I think sometimes people, when they're, when they do receive critiques or negativity, they think it's something that maybe they're doing. But you also have to remember that people are coming in with so many other biases or issues that they're dealing with that you can't say it's necessarily something that you did. Right. right? And you, and I think that's what the pandemic taught me is, well, I don't know if somebody has a very, very sick grandmother at home and they need to be masked all the time. I don't know that. I don't know that, but I can't take it personally that they're yelling at me or upset about whatever it may be. So I think that's something that I would really give advice to new coaches and new teachers is really, you cannot take things personally. You really, and I know it's easier said than done. It's really, really hard because we're very passionate about what we do. We love what we do. We do it for the kids. What got me through a lot is I keep, um, I keep a bulletin board in my office and anytime I get a thank you note or a, something that a kid sends me, I stick it up there. Yeah. And if I have anything negative happen, I look at them and I'm like, well, I got 20 other kids or 20 other families or 20 other parents, you know, that are happy. And, and that's what really keeps me going is, is yeah. all the other students that are grateful for what you do for them. And, and at the end of the day, you know, after the pandemic, I mean, all of our families were happy and thankful that we went through it and did, you know, but it's just those one or two that can really, you know, get it, get at you and, and hurt, you know, pull your heartstrings. So really trying to do, you know, what we think is best based on the knowledge that we have based on the experience that we have and what we think is best for our families. Right. Especially as like people pleasers and people who want to like keep the peace. Like, I'm so proud to hear you say that. I'm like working up to that mentality. Like I still, you know, it's easier said than done. I know things aren't personal, especially after the pandemic too. But like when those words hit sharp and deep and you feel like you've invested so much into that family or even just their kid already, it it stings. It hurts to like pull that bandaid off. But, um, and even like our brain, like for every one negative thing, we need seven positive things to like, just get it out. It's our, um, survival mentality. So that's so smart of you to put a bulletin board up like in your work area. Like, yes. Okay. You know, it's just, this is just today. This is right now. This isn't a lifetime of like a negative situation. Right. Yes. And I think it, it that definitely helped. I saw it's right here next to me. And so I you know, just remind all the students and then I save them and it just, you know, it keeps, keeps me going. Totally. Um, speaking of the pandemic, that's a good segue. How did you lead and keep your team uplifted for, especially those seniors who were meant to like, you know, do, do nationals. And luckily in, um, 2021, we were able to do it, um, virtually and, um, 
how did you navigate as you were like trying to navigate for yourself, being positive (laughs) with not knowing what the heck was going on? (laughs) For sure. Well, for Michigan, we had, we finished nationals in 2020 Uh uh, because that was in January. So we were able to finish that. Um, but we did a lot of zoom meetings and zoom practices and, you know, all of that kind of stuff. We would do a lot of that. Um, I remember and we, we also host a competition at the university of Michigan, which is coming up in March. Um, and we had hosted that and then five days in 2020. And then five days later, like the world shut down. So, you know, and we had like all these teams and all this, yeah, we got it in. Um, so, um, but I remember we were sitting in my office with my staff at the studio uh-huh. and we were talking about recital and just planning recital. And I said, you know, they're saying that the schools are going to shut down till spring break. I, I don't think it's going to happen, but if they do, let's, I'm just going to buy eight zoom accounts. I bought eight zoom accounts for every one of my classrooms. Yeah. And like within two hours, everything, like they'd shut everything down. Um, fortunately, you know, most of my staff is really versatile in terms of understanding how to use zoom. And we, we started using zoom right away. Yeah. Um, and then I, I stayed, I think I stayed home for like two days and that was enough for me. And I was like, well, because you had to be like at your, that was when you had to be at your residence or whatever. I'm like, well, my studio is my residence. So I just started going in every day and just like very disciplined going in. I would think of ways to clean the space, make it cleaner. Like I would work, I would just do stuff to kind of like forward thinking. So when there's something negative happened, I try to be like forward thinking, like what can I do to keep going forward? Um, then we started doing a lot of free community events on Zoom because kids were home. So right. we would just do like free things. And my well, my first thing, actually going back, my first thing was to tell my staff is, don't worry, you have a job. You're not going to lose your job. We will figure this out. Like that was my very first thing that I told them. Like, don't Thank worry. You're goodness. Not. And I said, don't worry about it. You will still have your same hours. I will figure this out don't worry about it. And I did, we never cut their hours. Like, and sometimes they'd be doing zoom from home, you know, whatever, but I never cut their hours. Um, and that was really, really important to me during, during that time. So I think that that taught me a lot about, okay, how do you handle a crisis situation? You have to let everybody know that it's going to be okay. Right. And you have to put yourself in the mindset of how they're feeling and what kind of things that they might be thinking about. So that was my first thing. Um, and then as far as my team, I mean, it was, it was up and down that, that yeah. whole next year. Right. Like we, I think we, we didn't go to camp. We couldn't do that. We, we started practices outside in 2021. Uh-huh. Uh, we started practicing, we got inside. Then I think we got shut down in October. <laughs> um, and then we, we started back up, I think in January, then they shut the campus down again in Jan. This is 2021. Yeah. And then I think we started actually in practices, February, we were testing every day. We, we practice at seven in the morning. So that means testing is at six something in the morning right. and then we go to practice. And then, um, then nationals were in April that year virtual. Uh-huh. And, and I said, well, we can't go down there, but I'm going to make you feel like you're at Disney. So I, I rented a big backdrop yes. and I got the lights and I even got the topiaries that they have at this stage, like the Legendary little plant. <laughs> and so we, we did that. And then I, when I had it all set up, I had to get a company come in and set it all up. And I told them they couldn't come in. And then, then I played like, um, I had Disney bags for them and I played when you wish upon a star. And I said, you're at the wide world of sports. And like, I remember Brendan saying, I'm getting sunburn and like really <laughs> making them feel like they were really there. So this year we actually got to go back down there, but for friends and family, I got the backdrop again, because I now I feel like it's like something that we just have to do. <laughs> so, oh my gosh. Yes. <laughs> so that, those are some, I think finding, you know, being creative yeah. and finding alternative ways of doing things is what the pandemic taught us. Um, and I think that's important. I would never trade like zoom education for in-person education. There's nothing like working with a student one-on-one or, or your students one-on-one face-to-face mm-hmm. then then it's too hard on zoom. I, I feel like the connections are a little bit lost. So yeah. I, I would do it if I had to, but it's, it's just right. so much better in person. Right. Right. What do you think? Uh, what do you, what are the differences in person and zoom to you? What do you think the um, highlights are about in-person teaching and why do you think that won't go away first and foremost over zoom teaching? 
I think um, it's just easier to correct things. Mm-hmm. You know, they're on carpet at home or or yeah. whatever it may be. They can they can't actually do things necessarily full out. I think it's okay. there's also a body language. Even though you can read body language over Zoom, it's just even more in tune when you're in person. Right, one I dimensional think, on Zoom. Yeah, it's one dimensional. I think. Um, you know, when you're on Zoom, though, you you tend to look at things a little bit differently than you do in person. So yeah. you, you maybe are looking at like, I happen to notice I would always be looking at feet and rel- like they're relevant even more in tune, like how they, you know, even though I do that in class, I just yeah. think there's just little things that were just a little bit different to see on Zoom, although I think it's way better in person. So, yeah. Um, yeah. and just the energy that you feel when you're in a classroom, mm-hmm. um, it just makes you feel alive when you're totally. teaching. Totally. What classes are you teaching now and age ranges and has your preference changed over the years of which groups you prefer to work with and styles? Sure. Well, I've taught all ages, like all my life. Um, Mm -hmm. And um, I think when you own a studio, you Mm -hmm. have to be able to pick up any class Mm -hmm. when somebody can't be there or or whatever. Now I tend to do more solos, duets, and trios. um, And and do all their choreography. And, and I, I feel that I can really develop the individual that way mm-hmm. and really develop, you know, there's some solos I've had for several years and just kind of develop like what they're, what they're best at, you know? And yeah. I, I really kind of try to find that because I think, especially in solos, you can do that. You can see like what they look great at and you put that in their solo. So yeah. that those that's mostly what I teach right now or like, like our competition pieces, but the right. solos, duets and trios. So that's mostly what I teach. And I, and I like that. And I really like taking students, um, sixth, seventh grade, mm-hmm. All the way through seniors, but I like the sixth, seventh, eighth, ninth grade because I think that's where you see the most growth. Yeah. I think you see the greatest growth at that time. And you also see what their passions are. You see, like, hey, I love dance and dance is going to be my thing. Or I like dance, but I like volleyball and I'm going to take this path. And that's okay too. But I think that's kind of where you see some of that happening, that that age range. And I always tell my students, you see the greatest growth during that time. And also because their bodies are changing and then, you know, your center's changing and like all that kind of stuff and just helping them figure out, you know, what they need to do to kind of help grow. So, right. And everybody's a different, you know, everybody types different. So it requires mm-hmm. different tips or feedback to for sure. Yes. That's nice that you get to work with them for so long though, you know, yeah. like that really does, I think show on stage, you can tell when kids have had like a guest choreographer come in and just like throw movement on them without like really knowing them. Um, Mm -hmm. yeah. So good on you. Um, (laughs) Thank you. Yeah. You, okay. So you've taught not only here, um, nationally, but you've taught internationally as well. Are there any differences, similarities that you see amongst American dancers versus like, say, for example, you were in Austria recently, um, any similarities, differences or insight on that? Sure. So I choreographed for the Vienna Vikings dance team in Austria um, for three years. I didn't go like when I think 2020 when the world mm-hmm. was shut down, um, yeah. but um, and I worked with their three programs. They have um, the smallest group and then they have like a middle school group and then they have a high school slash college group and mm-hmm. I do their choreography um, and they compete over there as well. Um, the thing that I notice that are similar, that's very similar is just the passion for dance and dance is a universal language. Mm-hmm. So I don't speak German, yeah. but they knew what I was saying. Right. And I could understand what they were saying because dance is such a universal language. Um, I did pick up a little bit of German. I would try to speak it. So they thought, they thought that was funny, but nice. <laughs> <laughs> um, I think I think also the the discipline that we have towards dance is very similar. I think that, you know, putting in the work and putting in the time and that kind of stuff is very similar. Um, the differences, I'm trying to think. The first time I went over there, I could tell that they were watching a lot of American um, dances, like, you know, uh, videos. Yeah. Because, like, they would do left turns in second. Versus oh, my right? Like they were better on their left turns in second than they were on their right. Whereas here's the right, but it's only because they were watching it on oh, video. Oh my gosh. Right? That is hilarious. Yeah. And I never, I like, wow, that's interesting. You know, and it's because yeah. they're watching a video. So that was kind of cool. Um, and I think, so, so getting them to understand, you know, some of the technical things, I, th- they also 
for the longest time, and I think they still do it. It's a thing to do jump rope for a conditioning, like warm up, which is very, and then I think that comes back from like the, the gymnastics, like rhythmic gymnastics kind of thing. And that, that was a big thing for them. So, yeah. um, this, so my second year I went, I brought, uh, one of my assistant coaches, Joan Noble Pruitt, she works with the marching band. So she helped with like formations and stuff like that. Cause she's super awesome with formations. And then yeah. this year I brought Joan and Judy Rice, who is a ballet instructor at the university of Michigan. And so she brought ballet technique for them, which I think that's something that they're starting to implement more over there, which nice. was a really help helpful for them. And we just had the best time. And the, the best part of the, the trip this year in October uh-huh. was just the collaboration that we had yeah. with Joan, Judy, and myself. Um, it was great. We would, you know, during, we would teach at night and then the next day we would kind of recap and talk about, you know, what we, we learned from that experience and what we can do to make it better that evening for those, those students. So, um, I wouldn't trade that experience for anything. We hope to do it again. So it was great. Yes. That sounds awesome. Yeah. And jump rope as a warm up. That sounds so fun. It is. I know it's so fun, but it, it's a big thing there. And so I thought that was very interesting that they would use that like just for their cardio, for their yeah. cardio warm up. Do they so. individually do it or have like a mm-hmm. big one? Individually, individually. Yeah. Oh my gosh. Yeah, everyone has to bring their jump rope to practice. That yeah. is amazing. Like what yeah. laps are for us is jump rope for yeah. them. <laughs> I know. I thought that was so cool. So it was definitely interesting. So that for is sure. cool. Well, thanks yeah. for sharing that. <laughs> um, so what's on the horizon? What's something that you're looking forward to, or maybe a project that you're currently nose deep in right now? Sure. Well, we're getting ready for our university 20th annual University of Michigan dance team competition at Chrysler Center. That's March 13th. We're getting ready for that. Um, and then in my studio, we about seven years ago, we bought our own building for our studio and we have 11,000 square feet. We're now, um, we have seven classrooms and now we're moving into another space, which is just across the street. And that's, that space is going to have the same size as the nationals floor. Um, and so we're getting ready to revamp that and do all of the floor and all that kind of stuff. So working on that right now, um, I always feel like I have a million projects going on at once, but, and that's one of them. So I'm getting excited about that. So moving forward. That is awesome, Val. Um, what would that just reminded me of a question I wanted to ask you earlier, but I forgot because we got we we have so many things to dive into. I just want to pick your brain about everything. Um, what would you say that a typical nationals practice looks like for you, like in the heat and the heavy of the season? Like, what do you do for your dancers to keep to keep them going, stay motivated. And I mean, I'm sure, like you said, you handle some of the leadership towards the seniors. Um, but for you, what is it like as a coach? Sure. So that's, that's a whole conversation in itself. Um, <laughs> during this, during, so from September through like November, uh-huh. we are deep in like games and, you know, appearances right. and all that kind of stuff. So we touch on nationals, but we don't get a chance to really spend a lot of time on nationals because we are you know, getting performances ready and that kind of stuff. Right. And then in December, we start our intensives, which is basically, you know, all day, every day. And then in January as well. Um, again, like I mentioned earlier, I am very much a type A kind of driver. So I always like push, you know, let's go, let's go, let's go. Mm-hmm. Well, I learned a couple of years ago that more isn't always better. And I think there's a lot of coaches out there that think that more is always better and it's not always better. Mm-hmm. And you have to be very mindful as to when you're going to start tapering. You got to make, be very mindful. Like, so for example, in December, we stop lift. We don't lift. We don't go to lift. We go to lift twice a week during the school year. Uh-huh. When we're doing nationals intensives, we cut back on that because they were, it, and once we started doing that, they reduced injuries. They were happier. They were healthier. They no, could get through yeah. the routines better, you know? Yeah. So that's something that we focus on. Um, we start off with, obviously with a good warm up, and then we'll, it depends every single week or actually every single practice, I give them an agenda for every 15 minutes and they get it the day before. Like, this is what we're going to do here. This is what we're going to do here. I do like to focus on at the beginning after warm up turns or tricks, because just focus on that, the turning sequence or the tricks or whatever it is in the piece. And then we'll take it each section of the dance. Maybe today we're only going to work on, you know, the first 30 seconds and then, or maybe we're just working on the ending. Um, so it really depends on the day, um, mm-hmm. but we will take things by sections. We will do those sections full out. Um, we will watch video. Um, and then as we get closer, you know, we maybe do more full outs 
or we'll do it full out run and then do it full out again, you know, just to really get that endurance and really pushing them there. But I think as you get towards the end of nationals practices, it's also really important to mentally prepare them. Right. And what I talk to them about a lot is you have to analyze what it is that you need when you're backstage. I remember being backstage, getting ready to compete. And the, what got me through was always to say, you know what, this is just another practice. I'm just back. I'm back in my normal practice. This is what I'm doing. And that's what got me through. Right. Some people need, this is the national stage. I got this. I'm going to go out there. Everybody needs something different, but they have right. to start analyzing what they need so mm-hmm. they can mentally prepare themselves. Yeah. And I do a lot of, um, internal and external visualization with them. So the internal is them imagining themselves on the stage in the piece Uh and who do you see next to you, who are you connecting with? I also do external visualization where you're imagining watching yourself on stage or in the audience, watching your stage, yourself Mm -hmm. on stage. And what that does is that increases confidence because they're thinking they've thought about it before they actually get there. Mm -hmm. But I do a whole thing where we, you know, you're on the bus, we're getting off the bus. Other teams are looking at you. You're getting nervous. How are you redirecting your thoughts? Who's going to be your person when you're feeling so nervous that you're going to talk to to redirect you back in? We're back on the warm-up floor. All these, you know, you, you feel other teams, you see other teams. Like, how do you draw it back in? We talk about all of that stuff. We talk about the sights, the sounds, the smells, like this pretzel smells in there and like, you know, all that kind of stuff, just so that they're used to that. And they, they can imagine all of that before they actually get there. Because like, I think I said earlier, Dance is also very mental, you know, and you have to think about it here before you get it in your body. And so if you can get them feeling confident about it before they actually get down there, I think it makes a huge, huge difference in terms of their success and how they feel about it. That's brilliant, Val. I bet. (laughs) Yeah, no, that honestly, that does so much. And they even brought that to on their own when you set up the backdrop for 2021 you know like you said the guy was, was like oh I'm sunburnt here or, yeah you know yeah, speaking sure. out loud that's awesome um is there something that like a cute little saying or a quote that's like personal to your team or maybe something you guys do before or after you get off on stage whether it be for a game or um something as big as nationals um, well, every year they, they usually have like their own little chant that they do, um, before they take the national stage, but that comes from them, right? That has to come, yeah. And that has to go. Mm-hmm. We, we have a standard break at the end of practice. We always say like MDT go blue, but yeah, that's yeah. not what they do before they take the national stage. It's something that they kind of come up with, uh-huh. but we also, um, we sit down usually a couple of weeks prior to nationals and the, the coaches are not involved in this, this process, but I, make sure that they do it is they write down all the reasons why they deserve to be there, why they deserve to be at nationals. They, and it, it could be 59 reasons. It could be 20 reasons. It could be a hundred reasons, but they write it down. They sit in a circle and they talk about it and they go through every person on the team. Like Danny's amazing at her turns or so-and-so is, you know, they'll go through every single person on the team Oh my god! and then they write it. And then when we're riding, riding on the bus to semifinals, mm-hmm. they read it. They go through and read it on the bus and they, they go through every single one of the reasons why they deserve to be there. And it, that's a really, this is like a nice tradition that we've started. Um, and I think it's, it just really helps them feel like part of that unity, you know, and being part of yeah. one is, is one, is one team, which is really important. So that's huge. And bus rides can be kind of like, you can get in your head and be so scared, especially on the way there. So that's a perfect way to reframe and get everyone like, you know, just cherishing one another and sharing the gratitude. That's brilliant. I love all these <laughs> mental things that you give them to work on. Um, it really and does then show. I did something silly this year. Like we, um, two years ago, we, there was like this move in our hip hop dance and it was kind of like this, it was like you're going like this. And I have this little Abby on my team uh-huh. and she's, I said, Abby, I love you. You're great. I said, but w- for whatever reason, you just look like a flying ostrich in this part. And I said, it's not you. <laughs> It's not you. It's just how the choreography is transitioning. It was just kind of, and so that was like our little inside joke, like flying ostrich. I don't right, know. Right. So this year, I, at the beginning of practice, at the beginning of the season, I said, well, we have a team mascot. I bought a stuffed ostrich and like, and I said, and wh- whoever does great that week gets to pass it on to somebody else. So Abby got to be the, the parent of the ostrich. <laughs> and then every week they add something to the ostrich, whether it's a scarf, whether the ostrich has 
toenails. It has like all sorts of stuff, but you know, if somebody did something special for them at practice or they did really well, it gets passed down every week and it just became like a fun little transition uh, tradition. So yeah. Michigan doesn't have, um, mascots. We have a Wolverine, but we don't actually have like a stuffed Wolverine. So yeah. it's kind of funny to like do that as part of our team. So we have a stuffed ostrich as the <laughs> university of Michigan dance team, um, mascot, but it was just something fun. And it just, th- so the point of that is, is that we have to remember to have fun with our yeah. student athletes mm-hmm. and we have to remember to be human. And because I tend, again, like I said before, very structured, very like, this is how, and I have to remember like to be fun and have fun with them. And so that's something that I'm still working on. Um, but I think if you show them that you're human and you're real and that you can, you can have fun with them, I think it's important. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah. That's beautiful Val. And <laughs> speaking of fun, this is a good segue whenever you need to have fun or let loose or even make a list of how you'll do this. Um, what music or song would you put on to just dance to for yourself, whether it be cleaning or just whatever you want to feel like you want to move your body? Um, trying to think. Well, I think as, as dancers and teachers, we, we love all kinds of music, right? Like we have to love all kinds of music based on like whatever we're doing. Um, because we always have to listen to different kinds of music. So for me, I don't know. I, I like anything like, like the BPM channel, like the, you know, like the, the rave kind of music. Like I like that because I think it's a good pop-up music. Um, I don't, I like everything though. And if I do need to like chill out, I will put on the spa channel. (laughs) (laughs) If I need to chill out the spa channel. So I, I, I do, I like everything, but also if kids bops down on my car, my daughter gets mad at me. So (laughs) (laughs) like, you know, I like, I have to like everything. (laughs) Totally. My, um, recommended for me playlist is just so eclectic because of teaching kids. So I too have kids pop pop up for me Yeah, (laughs) and also my spa meditation by neural beats and I'm with you. you. Awesome. Well, if someone wanted to find you and learn a little bit more about you than what they just heard today, is there an email address or maybe, um, social media that you would like to share? Sure. They can go to my Instagram, Valerie said Patsos, or my email is vspatsos at umich.edu. Um, that'd be the great way to find me or my studio, which is dextersdancersedge.com. Beautiful. Thank you so much, Val. And thank you for your time. And okay. So this is the question I ask everyone before we end within one sentence or word, what would you say to any haters or naysayers? Um, I would say you do you, you be you and I'll be me. <laughs> and that's what we'll do. That's all I, that's all I can say. Thanks for listening today and tune back in tomorrow for more short and sweet dance tips. If you're looking for a deeper dive, check out the bonus episodes released the first of every month where I interview those in our field who keep our industry moving and grooving. If you're looking for a little extra direction with dancing towards your dance dreams, head to our website where you can find your free goals planner or daily challenge tracker. If you like or don't like what you're hearing, please dance those fingers across your keyboard and give DTD a rating or review so we know how to best serve you. Until tomorrow, happy dancing.